Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 42 to 43 and in the previous episode we read chapters 40 to 41 and the trio were finally able to read Seward after um, a truck uh, driver uh, agreed to take them to Seward. Unfortunately, it broke down a few miles before the town of Seward, but they were able to walk the rest of the way because it wasn't that big of a distance. And after they reached Seward, um, Percy fell into some sort of quicksand trap, or as it should be more called, uh, the Gaia trap. So he basically went underground and got sucked in by Gaia, and then Hazel went in in order to try and reason with Gaia, or at least you know, trying to save, rescue Percy out. So, Hazel reaches in, uh, Hazel goes into the, um, goes into the quicksand trap, and Gaia starts tempting Hazel about, you know, going back to her previous life, and being able to be with, um, her mom, and Sammy, and everybody, and she's trying to tempt Hazel by, by saying, by talking about how, their lives are now and what happened and all of that um but hazel isn't convinced so after a quick uh, pull on the ankle hazel figures out it's percy and is able to uh rescue him out of the uh, quicksand trap and momentarily later uh the trio go into the town of Seward. so now we're gonna read chapter 42 hazel when they got into town, Hazel followed the same route she'd used 70 years ago, the last night of her life, when she'd come home from the hills and found her mother missing. She led her friends along 3rd Avenue. The railroad station was still there. The big, white, two-story Seward Hotel was still in big business, though it had expanded to twice its old size. They thought about stopping there, but Hazel didn't think it would be a good idea to trapeze into the lobby covered in mud. Nor was she sure the hotel would give a room to three miners. Instead, they turned toward the shoreline. Hazel couldn't believe it, but her old home was still there, leaning over the water on barnacle-encrusted piers. The roof sagged. The walls were perforated with holes like buckshot. The door was boarded up, and a hand-painted sign read, Room storage available. Come on, she said. Uh, you sure it's safe? Frank asked. Hazel found an open window and climbed inside. Her friends followed. The room hadn't been used in a long time. Their feet kicked up dust that swirled in the buckshot beams of sunlight. Moldering cardboard boxes were stacked along the walls. The faded labels read, Greeting cards, assorted seasonal. Why, several hundred boxes of season's greetings had wound up crumbling to dust in a warehouse in Alaska. Hazel had no idea, but it felt like a cruel joke. As if the cards were all for the holidays, she'd never gone to celebrate. Decades of Christmases, Easter's, birthdays, Valentine's Day. It's warmer in here, at least, Frank said. Guess no running water? Maybe I can go shopping. I'm not as muddy as you guys. I could find us some clothes. Hazel only half heard him. She climbed over a stack of boxes in the corner that used to be her sleeping area. An old sign was propped against the wall gold prospecting supplies she thought she found a find a bare wall behind it but when she moved the sign most of her photos and drawings were still pinned there the sign must have protected them from sunlight and elements they seemed to not have aged 
Her crayon drawings of New Orleans looked so childish. Had she really made them? Her mother stared out at her from one photograph, smiling in front of her business sign. Queen Marie's Grigri. Charm sold, fortunes told. Next to that was a photo of Sammy at the carnival. He was frozen in time with his crazy grin, his curly black hair and those beautiful eyes. If Gaia was telling the truth, Sammy had been dead for over 40 years. Had he really remembered Hazel all that time? Or had he forgotten the peculiar girl he used to go riding with? The girl who shared one kiss and a birthday cupcake with him before disappearing forever. Frank's fingers hovered over the photo. Who? He saw that she was crying and clamped back his question. Sorry, Hazel. This must be really hard. Do you want some time? No. She croaked. No, it's, it's fine. Is that your mother? Percy pointed to the photo of Queen Marie. She looks like you. She's beautiful. Then Percy studied the picture of Sammy. Who is that? Hazel didn't understand why he looked so spooked. That, that, that's Sammy. He was uh, my uh, uh, a friend from New Orleans. She forced herself not to look at Frank. I've seen him before. Percy said. You couldn't have, Hazel said. That was in 1941. He, he's probably dead now. Percy frowned. I guess. Still. He shook his head like the thought was too uncomfortable. Frank cleared his throat. Look, we passed the store in the last block. We've got a little money left. Maybe I should go get you guys some food and clothes and, I don't know, a hundred boxes of wet whites or something. Hazel put the gold prospecting sign back over her mementos. She felt guilty even looking at that old picture of Sammy, with Frank trying to be so sweet and supportive. It didn't do her any good to think about her old life. That would be great, she said. You're the best, Frank. The floorboards creaked under his feet. Well, uh, I'm not the only one not completely covered in mud. Anyway, uh, be back soon. Once he was gone, Percy and Hazel made temporary camp. They took off their jackets and tried to scrape off the mud. They found some old blankets in a crate and used them to clean up. They discovered that boxes of greeting cards made pretty good places good places to rest if you arranged them like mattresses. Percy set his sword on the floor where it glowed with a faint bronze light. They stretched out a bed of Merry Christmas 1982. Thank you for saving me, he said. I should have told you that earlier. Hazel shrugged. You would have done the same for me. Yes, he agreed. But when I was down in the mud, I remembered that line from Ella's prophecy. About the son of Neptune drowning. I thought, this is what it means. I'm drowning in the earth. I was sure I was dead. His voice quavered like it had his first day at Camp Jupiter, when Hazel had shown him the shrine of Neptune. Back then, she had wondered if Percy was the answer to her problems. The descendant of Neptune that Pluto had promised would take away her curse someday. Percy had seemed so intimidating and powerful, like a real hero. Only now, she knew that Frank was a descendant of Neptune too. Frank wasn't the most impressive looking hero in the world, but he trusted her with, her, with his life. He tried so hard to protect her, even his clumsiness was endearing. She never felt more confused and... Since she had spent her whole life confused, that was saying a lot. Percy, she said. 
That prophecy might not have been complete. Frank thought Ella was remembering a burned page. Maybe you'll drown someone else. He looked at her cautiously. You think so? Hazel felt strange, reassuring him. He was so much older and more in command, but she nodded confidently. You're going to make it back home. You're going to see your girlfriend, Annabeth. You'll make it back too, Hazel, he insisted. We're not going to let anything happen to you. You're too valuable to me, to the camp, and especially to Frank. Hazel picked up an old valentine. The lacy white paper fell apart in her hands. I don't belong in this century. Nico only brought me back so I could correct my mistakes. Maybe get into Elysium. There's more to your destiny than that, he said. We're supposed to fight Gaia together. I'm going to need you at my side way longer than just today. And Frank, you can see the guy is crazy about you. This life is worth fighting for, Hazel. She closed her eyes. Please don't get my hopes up. I can't. The window creaked open. Frank climbed in, triumphantly holding some shopping bags. Success! He showed off his his prizes. From a hunting store, he'd gotten a new quiver of arrows for himself, some rations, and a coil of rope. For the next time we run across Muskeg, he said. From a local tourist shop, he had brought some three sets sets of fresh clothes, some towels, some soap, some bottled water, and yes, a huge box of wet wipes. It wasn't exactly a hot shower, but Hazel ducked behind a wall of greeting card boxes to clean up and change. Soon, she was feeling much better. This is your last day. She reminded herself, don't get too comfortable. The Feast of Fortuna, all the luck that happened today, good or bad, was supposed to be an omen for the, of the entire year to come. One way or another, their quest would end this evening. She slipped a piece of driftwood into her new coat pocket. Somehow, she'd have to make sure it stayed safe, no matter what happened to her. She could bear her own death as long as her friends survived. So, she said, now we find a boat to Hubbard Glacier. She tried to sound confident, but it wasn't easy. She wished Arian was still with her. She'd much rather ride into battle on that beautiful horse. Ever since they'd left Vancouver, she'd been calling to him in her thoughts, hoping he would hear her and come find her, but that was just wishful thinking. Frank patted his stomach. If we're going to battle to the death, I want lunch first. I found the perfect place. Frank led them to a shopping plaza near the wharf, where an old railway car had been converted to a diner. Hazel had no memory of the place from the 1940s, but the food smelled amazing. While Frank and Percy ordered, Hazel wandered down to the docks and asked some questions. When she came back, she needed cheering up. Even the cheeseburger and fries didn't do the trick. We're in trouble, she said. I try to get a boat, but I miscalculated. No boats? Franks asked. Oh, I can get a boat, Hazel said. But the glacier is farther than I thought. Even at top speed, we couldn't get there until tomorrow morning. Percy turned pale. Maybe I could make the boat go faster? Even if you could, Hazel said. From what the captains tell me, it's treacherous. Icebergs, mazes of channels to navigate. You'd have to know where you're going. A plane? Frank asked. Hazel shook her head. I asked the boat captains about that. They said we could try, but it's a tiny airfield. You have to charter a plane two, three weeks in advance. They ate in silence after that. Hazel's cheeseburger was excellent, but she couldn't concentrate on it. She'd eaten about three bites when a raven settled on the telephone pole above and began to croak at them. Hazel shivered. 
She was afraid it would speak to her like the other raven so many years ago. The last night. Tonight. She wondered if ravens always appeared to children of Pluto when they were about to die. She hoped Nico was still alive, and Gaia had just been lying to make her unsettled. Hazel had a bad feeling that the goddess was telling the truth. Nico had told her that he'd search for the doors of death from the other side. If he'd been captured by Gaia's forces, Hazel might have lost the only family she had. She stared at her cheeseburger. Suddenly, the raven's cawing changed to a strangled yelp. Frank got up so fast that he almost toppled the picnic table. Percy drew his sword. Hazel followed their eyes, perched on top of the pole where the raven had been. A fat, ugly griffin glared down at them. It burped, and raven feathers fluttered from its beak. Hazel stood and unsheathed her spatha. Frank knocked an arrow. He took aim, but the griffin shrieked so loudly the sound echoed off the mountains. Frank flinched, and his shot went wide. I think that's a call for help. Percy warned. We have to get out of here. With no clear plan, they ran for the docks. The griffin dove after them. Percy slashed at it with his sword, but the griffin veered out of reach. They took the steps to the nearest pier and raced to the end. The griffin swooped after them, his front claws extended for the kill. Hazel raised her sword, but an icy wall of water slammed sideways into the griffin and washed it into the bay. The griffin squawked and flapped its wings. It managed to scramble onto the pier, where it shook its black fur like a wet dog. Frank grunted. Nice one, Percy. Yeah, he said. Didn't know if I could still do that in Alaska, but bad news. Look over there. But a mile away over the mountains, a black cloud was swirling. A whole flock of griffins, dozens at least. There was no way they could fight that many, and no boat could take them away fast enough. Frank knocked another arrow. Not going down without a fight. Percy raised Riptide. I'm with you. Then Hazel heard a sound in the distance like the whinnying, whinnying of a horse. She must have been imagining it, but she cried out desperately. Harriet, over here! A tan blur came ripping down the street and onto the pier. The stallion materialized right behind the griffin, brought down his front hooves, and smashed the monster to dust. Hazel had never been so happy in her life. Good horse! Really good horse! Frank backed up and almost fell off the pier. How? He followed me, Hazel beamed, because he's the best horse ever. Now get on. All three of us? Percy said. Can he handle it? Aaron whinnied indignantly. All right, no need to be rude, Percy said. Let's go. They climbed down. They climbed on. Hazel in front, Frank and Percy balancing precariously behind her. Frank wrapped his arms around behind her stomach, and Hazel thought that if this was going to be her last day on Earth, it was a bad way to go out. Run, Arian, she cried, to Hubbard Glacier. The horse shot across the water, his hooves turning the top of the sea to steam. And that's the end of chapter 42. That was certainly a very interesting way to end the chapter. Um, I'm glad Arian was able to get there in time, you know, Arian being able to you know, be able to save them at, la- at, like, you know, when, at the perfect timing, that was great, and, and the fact that, you know, since they were also running out of options, because, you know, air travel isn't the best for Percy, and boat travel doesn't seem to be going too well as an option either, so I'm really glad that Arian was able to come, because, you know, with Arian's speed and everything, they won't even have to worry about getting to Hubbard Glacier in time, because, 
that would that will be certainly be taken care of so next chapter we'll see how exactly are they like what is going to happen when they get to hubbard glacier and how they're going maybe how they're going to free thanatos so after the break we'll read chapter 43 see you then And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 43, Hazel. Writing Arian, Hazel felt powerful, unstoppable, absolutely in control. A perfect combination of horse and human. She wondered if this is what it was like to be a centaur. The boat captains and the go- boat captains and Seward had warned her that it was 300 nautical miles to the Hubbard Glacier. A hard, dangerous journey, but Arian had no trouble. He raced over the water at the speed of sound, heating the air around them so that Hazel didn't even feel the cold. On foot, she never would have felt so brave. On horseback, she couldn't wait to charge into battle. Frank and Percy didn't look so happy. When Hazel glanced back, their teeth were clenched and their eyeballs were bouncing around in their heads. Frank's cheeks jiggled from the G-force. Percy sat in back, hanging on tight, desperately trying not to slip off the horse's rear. Hazel hoped that didn't happen. The way Arian was moving, she might not notice he was gone for 50 or 60 miles. They raced through icy straits past blue fjords and cliffs with waterfalls spilling into the sea. Arian jumped over a breaching humpback whale and kept galloping, starting, startling a pack of seals off an iceberg. It seemed like only minutes before they zipped into a narrow bay. The water stick, uh, turned the consistency of shaved ice in blue sticky syrup. Arian came to a halt on a frozen turquoise slab. A half a mile away stood Hubbard Glacier. Even Hazel, who'd seen glaciers before, couldn't quite process what she was looking at. Purple, snow-capped mountains marched off in either direction, with clouds floating around like their middles, like, like fluffy belts. In a massive valley between two of the largest peaks, a ragged wall of ice rose out of the sea, filling the entire gorge. The glacier was blue and white with streaks of black so that it looked like a hedge of dirty snow left behind on a sidewalk after a snowplow had gone by, only four million times as large. As soon as Arian stopped, Hazel felt the temperature drop. All that ice was sending off waves of cold, turning the bay into the world's largest refrigerator. The eeriest thing was a sound like thunder that rolled across the water. What is that? Frank gazed at the clouds above the glacier. A storm? No, Hazel said, ice cracking and shifting, millions of tons of ice. You mean that thing is breaking up? Frank asked. As if on cue, a sheet of ice silently calved off the side of the glacier and crashed into the sea, spraying water and frozen shrapnel several stories high. A millisecond later, the sound hit them. A boom, almost as jarring as Arian, hitting the sound barrier. We can't get close to that thing, Frank said. We have to, Percy said. The giant is at the top. Arian nickered. Jeez, Hazel, Percy said. Tell your horse to watch his language. Hazel tried not to laugh. What did he say? With the cussing removed, he said he can get us to the top. Frank looked incredulous. I thought the horse couldn't fly. This time, Arian whinnied so angrily, even Hazel could guess he was cursing. Dude, Percy told the horse, I've gotten suspended for saying less than that. Hazel, he promises you'll, you'll see what he can do as soon as you give the word. Um, hold on, then, you guys, Hazel said nervously. Arian, 
Giddy up! Aaron shot toward the glacier like a runaway rocket, barreling straight across the slush like he wanted to play chicken with the mountain of ice. The air grew colder. The crackling of the ice grew louder. As Aaron closed the distance, the glacier loomed so large, Hazel got vertigo just trying to take it all in. The side was riddled with crevices and caves, spiked with jagged ridges like axe blades. Pieces were constantly crumbling off, some no larger than snowballs, some the size of houses. When they were about 50 yards from the base, a thunderclap rattled Hazel's bottles, Hazel's bones, and a curtain of ice that would have covered Camp Jupiter calved away and fell toward them. Look out! Frank shouted, which seemed a little unnecessary to Hazel. Aaron was way ahead of him. In a burst of speed, he zigzagged through the debris, leaping over chunks of ice and clambering up the face of the glacier. Percy and Frank both cussed like horses and held on desperately while Hazel wrapped her arms around Arian's neck. Somehow they managed not to fall as Arian scaled the cliffs, jumping from foothold to foothold with impossible speed and agility. It was like falling down a mountain in reverse. Then it was over. Arian stood proudly at the top of a ridge of ice that loomed over the void. The sea was now 300 feet below them. Arian whinnied to challenge that echoed off the mountains. Percy didn't translate, but Hazel was pretty sure Arian was calling out to any other horse that might be in the bay. Beat that, you punks! Then he turned and ran inland across the top of the glacier, leaping a chasm 50 feet across. There, Percy pointed. The horse stopped. Ahead of them stood a frozen Roman camp like a giant-sized, ghastly replica of Camp Jupiter. The trenches bristled with ice spikes. The snow-brick ramparts, ramparts glared blinding white. Hanging from the guard towers, banners of frozen blue cloth shimmered in the Arctic sun. There was no sign of life. The gates stood wide open. No sentries walked the walls. Still, Hazel had an uneasy feeling in her gut. She remembered the cave in Resurrection Bay where she'd worked to raise Alcyonius. The oppressive sense of malice and the constant boom, 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 like Gaia's heartbeat. This place felt similar, as if the earth were trying to wake up and consume everything, as if the mountains on either side wanted to crush them and the entire glacier to pieces. Arian trotted skittishly. Frank, Percy said, how about we go on foot from here? Frank sighed with relief. Thought you never ask. They dismounted and took some tentative steps. The ice seemed stable, covered with a fine carpet of snow, so that it wasn't too slippery. Hazel urged Arian forward. Percy and Frank walked on either side, sword and bow ready. They approached the gates without being challenged. Hazel was trained to spot pits, snares, trip lines, and all sorts of other traps Roman legions had faced for eons in enemy territory. But she saw nothing, just the yawning icy gates and the frozen banners crackling in the wind. She could see straight down the Via Pretoria, at the crossroads in front of the snow snow brick Principia. A tall, dark-robed figure stood, bound in icy chains. Thanatos, Hazel murmured. She felt as if her soul were being pulled forward, drawn toward death like dust toward a vacuum. Her vision went dark. She almost fell off Arian, but Frank caught her and propped her up. We've got you, he promised. Nobody's taking you away. Hazel gripped his hand. She didn't want to let go. He was so solid, so reassuring. But Frank couldn't protect her from death. His own life was as fragile as a half-burned piece of wood. I'm all right, she lied. Percy looked around uneasily. 
No defenders? No giant? This has to be a trap. Obviously, Frank said. I don't think we have a choice. Before Hazel could change her mind, she urged Arian through the gates. The layout was so familiar. Cohort barracks, baths, armory. It was an exact replica of Camp Jupiter, except three times as big. Even on horseback, Hazel felt tiny and insignificant, as if they were moving through a model city constructed by the gods. They stopped ten feet from the robed figure. Now that she was here, Hazel felt a reckless urge to finish the quest. She knew she was in more danger than when she'd been fighting the, the Amazons or fending off the griffins or climbing the glacier on Arian's back. Instinctively, she knew that Thanatos could simply touch her and she would die. But she also had a feeling that if she didn't see the quest through, if she didn't face her fate bravely, she would still die in cowardice and failure. The judges of the dead wouldn't be lenient to her a second time. Arian centered back and forth, cantered back and forth, sensing her disquiet. Hello? Hazel forced out the word. Mr. Death? The hooded figure raised his head. Instantly, the whole camp stirred to life. Figures in Roman armor emerged from the barracks, the Principia, the armory, the canteen, but they weren't human. They were shades. The chattering ghosts Hazel had lived with for decades in the fields of Asphodel. Their bodies weren't much more than wisps of black vapor, but they managed to hold together sets of scale armor, greaves, and helmets. Frost-covered swords were strapped. Frost-covered swords were strapped to their waists. Pilla and dented shields floated in their smoky hands. The plumes on uh, the centurion's helmets were frozen and ragged. Most of the shades were on foot, but two soldiers burst out of the stables in a golden chariot pulled by ghostly black steeds. When Arian saw the horses, he stamped the ground in outrage. Frank gripped his bow. Yep, here's the trap. And that's the end of chapter 43. That was certainly an amazing chapter. I, I'm starting to, I, I feel really bad for Hazel because every single moment that she's like near this Thanatos guy, she's fearing or she's, she's essentially afraid of her fate i mean who wouldn't be you know she's literally going to be sent to the underworld if you know she sees this quest through so it's understandable but at the same time it's so sad to see her you know grieving already even if she hasn't even been sent yet it's like you know she's trying to spend the last moments with her friends as much as possible before she's absolutely certain she's going to get sent back but i have a feeling that she's not going to get sent back i feel like thanatos might you know might give lenience to her a little bit a little bit and let her live in um the mortal world even because you know hopefully he gets saved um so next uh, next uh time when we read chapters 44 to 45 We'll see how exactly this plan goes of fighting against the ghost army and the ghost horse army as well. And we'll see how exactly that they go from there. Um, especially since Frank doesn't have any more charges. We'll really have to see. Um, I believe, yeah. he, Yeah, I don't think he has any more charges on his spear that Mars gave him. So we'll have to see how exactly they're going to battle through this. Uh, when we read chapters 44 to 45. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.